All right, well, we'll jump into it. Um, I want to share some more thoughts about uh, last Sunday, you know, we talked about how there was a promise to the son that until that the promise um, that the law was given on a temporary basis until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. And this whole idea of God promising the son and entering into this covenant really with the son primarily and then for our benefit because Jesus didn't need life he is life he didn't need righteousness he is righteousness so it was all for our benefit as Paul said it was for our glory this this hidden mystery was all for our glory um, that we might partake in the same glory as the son partakes in not as lord of course he is obviously always the head and we his body but he prayed in john 17 father that they may behold my glory that the, as that they may have the same glory that you've given me that, that you may give to them the glory as, as the only begotten son the glory of being a son is what he's talking about now joint heirs with christ we were not a son, and now we're sons. We were not a people, and now we are the people of God, the Scripture says. So this awesome glory of having a relationship with God adopted, brought in many sons into glory, awesome. So it was done for our benefit, not for him, but it was a covenant between the Father and the Son. In, in law, it's referred to as a third-party beneficiary. A third-party beneficiary is when you have two people enter into a contract, like a will, um, and you have this two people, uh, like in Jonathan and David's situation, they, they, each, they had a contract with each other, and David told Jonathan, if, when you die, I'll take care of your family, whatever your family has need of, I'll, I'll find all your relatives and take care of them. And Jonathan said the same thing to David. If anything happens to you, I'll take care of your family. You know, whoever they are, wherever they are. Not based on how good they are, your family. They could be a bunch of rascals, rascals, but I'll take care of them because of our covenant with us. Jonathan and David. That's a picture hidden in, that's another picture hidden in the scripture of this covenant between father and son. David being the father type and um, Jonathan being the son type because Jonathan died. And so when Jonathan died, David went about looking for all the heirs of Jonathan to bless them because of the covenant he had with Jonathan, David and Jonathan. That's the same thing that happened with the father and the son for our benefit. We are third-party beneficiaries. That's why Hebrews says that a testament or a will does not go into effect until the death of the testator. Hebrews talks about that. So this covenant between father and son was a closed thing between father and son that we could not partake in until the son died. So then we could inherit, which is why it's called an inheritance, we can inherit all that the father promised the son. And so the moment the Lord died, the will went into effect. And he began to seek out all those who would believe. See, And so... That's what, I want to just continue to talk about that a little bit because um, 
the law was added temporarily. It was a very short duration in the, in the eyes of God. It was the fathers knew nothing about the law, the scripture says. It started on Sinai many, many years after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, it was added uh, in a temporary basis because of the transgression, the scripture says, to cause the, to cause the transgress- transgressions to actually increase so that people would be aware Specifically, the Jewish people be aware of their unrighteousness. It was never given to make one righteous. It was always given to make sin increase, that the transgressions might increase in their eyes. So they might see, we can't do this. And so it was added and it ended. It began on Sinai. It ended on the cross. When the veil of the temple was rent in two, God says, that's it. That's in. That's the end of it. I no longer recognize this covenant. It was a temporary thing added. I no longer recognize it. So... Because the seed had come to whom all the promises had been made. And then when he fulfilled all that he was to do in taking our place, Philippians says that he humbled himself. He thought it not something to grasp, being found in the form of God, one with God. The word was with God. The word was God. He found it not something to be grasped and held on to, but he let go of that and became a man, humbled himself, unto death, even the death of the cross, fulfilling all that the Father and He had agreed to, giving all things to Him as a man, living perfectly righteous as a man on the earth, and therefore could bring the blessing to all men through Him. God highly exalted Him and raised Him up above all things and gave Him a name above every name, that all men, see, that's the work of the Father and the Son. All this is between them. And he sat down, after purging us of all our sin, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. It's a circle. He says in John, he said, I have come from the Father. Just before he washed their feet that night, he said, I have come from the Father into the world, and now I leave this world, and I go back to the Father. It's a circle that has been fulfilled even before anything was made this was the work or the promise or the covenant between father and son for colossians says all things were made by him and for him the creation itself that he might have the preeminence colossians says that he was the firstborn of creation meaning that he was before uh, he was the firstborn of, of the dead colossians says the first one raised First one that entered heaven, first man. All these things that he might have the preeminence in all things. What we're talking about is that phrase that we hear a lot, the centrality of Christ. We're talking about understanding the centrality of Christ. Why is, why is that so important? It's so important because if we don't have our minds renewed by the Spirit to this way of thinking, then... It's easy to be moved by philosophy, Paul says, of men and thinking according to the world and uh, fleshly understanding of what righteousness is and what life's all about and all these things. And we, we end up not with this clear, simple, but profound rest and reality and what is. And that's why it's so important to understand the centrality of Christ in all things. 
um, so that we're not moved and we're not... Um, because that, that whole thing about the law was all about you and me. It's all about us performing. And, but it was never meant for us to take it up and to try to live that way. It was added on a temporary basis that every mouth would be shut so that men would come and see what God had always planned, the promise to Abraham, ratified to Abraham. To, uh, adding the law does not change a promise already ratified. Here's the seed, the fulfillment of all things. Tear the veil, and here it is. Now behold the mystery that has been hidden in God since the foundation of the world. Jesus said, I will open my mouth and I will speak things that have been hidden since the foundation of the world. He will open his mouth and he will speak things that have been hidden since the foundation of the world. Even the creation itself that that came through him bears his mark and the way it was created, the way seeds were made, speak of him. For the invisible things of God are clearly seen and understood by the things which have been made. Hebrews says, we understand that that which appears has been made by that, by that which does not appear. Because what it does not appear is eternal. What does appear is temporary. What does appear is a picture. What does not appear is the reality. So what happens in a practical way, what happens in our life is that you enter into this incredible, uh, deep rest when the centrality of Christ is comprehended. Uh, Colossians says, "When when when all the wealth of this mystery is apprehended, uh, you enter into the richness of this rest. You also... Uh, enter into this um, not only is there a rest but there's a um, what's the word it's a there's a well there's a profound sense of peace incredible peace because you really do it's kind of the same thing when you enter into rest you see striving um, fear goes away um, not that you never have any fear the rest of your life, but when you do have fear, it's easy to, to shake it off because you have an anchor that goes beyond the veil. There's a reality of, of what is. Um, there's also something else happens. You, know, you, you, you enter into a, a wonder, more of a wonder in your relationship with God, a childlike wonder that you had when you first believed, and you get it back. Because, the, the, because religion and legalism and our understanding, our, our wrong understanding of how things are will not only put you out of rest and put you into striving, but it will also cause you to lose the wonder of a child. And um, you start saying things like, how can these things be again? Which is the way we should live like that. How can he love me so much? How can he bless me like this? I don't deserve this. How can these things be? How can, how can I be an heir of God, and a joint heir with Christ? How can I, what manner of love is this that he would call me the sons, call us the sons of God? What manner? See, you don't, the wonder comes back. The simplicity and the rest and the wonder, that is contagious. That 
attracts, attracts people. It's supposed to, it's supposed to. That's what it, it sparkles. It sparkles. There's hope. You're full of hope. There's joy. Peter says, unspeakable and full of glory. When, when the reality of, the, of, of Christ and the centrality of Christ really begins to manifest and break forth in our minds, um, joy unspeakable and full of glory is something that we can actually understand and experience. So it's very important. I mean, it's, it's, to even say it's very important is ridiculous. <laughs> That's like saying it's very important that you breathe. You know, it's like, of course it's very important. It's everything. It's like, it's all in all. Paul says Christ is all in all. I mean, he, he says, I can't even describe it. You know, he's, in Romans, he goes nuts trying to, the guy that's uh, taking dictation at the very end of Romans, you can see his name. He, he, he gives his name. He's the one that is writing down Paul's speaking as Paul is like pacing I can see him pacing and saying and he's and the, and the guy poor guy is writing and he goes it's like unsearchable oh unfathomable who can fathom the and he's like Paul slow down please I can imagine you know it's like gosh what would Paul have done with the CDs and recording instruments and the internet and oh my gosh and, and the, tra- the travel we have, you know, he could be all over the world. And, oh, my gosh, he would just. Yeah, of Acts. Isn't that awesome? There's so much in those last two chapters of the book of Acts. Just when you get a chance to read those last two chapters, it, it, it is recorded like a movie. And there are things hidden, hidden in there for us to hear in the church concerning the revelation of Christ and the ministry of the church and the world and everything. It's really cool. It's hidden there. That's the last two chapters of the book of Acts. That is a message that's hidden in there. That's awesome. Um, Lord, we just thank you for, that we can see these things. We, you said, blessed are the eyes that see these things and the, the ears that hear these things. For many prophets and kings desired to see these things and they did not see them. They desired to hear these things and they did not hear them because the time was not yet. But blessed are your eyes. Blessed are your ears. For the time has come. It came almost 2,000 years ago. It's like yesterday to God. And all who seek shall find. All who ask, it shall be given. And all who knock, it shall be open. With no hindrance. With no hindrance whatsoever. There's an open heaven for all who want to walk through the door. For the Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh. For He stands at the door and knocks. If any man hear my voice and open up to me, I will come in and I will sit down and break bread with you. All has been accomplished. There is nothing between me and you. 
Whosoever hears my voice, if you open up to me, I will come in. Nothing has been left undone. What I have cleansed no longer consider unholy. For God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting their sins against them anymore. Behold, an open heaven. Thank you, Lord, for the reality. In Jesus' name. Amen. So cool. We do it this way. There's when the law was added, Galatians says that God cut a covenant with Israel, and that this is found in Galatians chapter three, where it says God through the agency of angels delivered the covenant to Israel through the agency of angels. And Moses stood as a representative of the people. So basically, under the law, you had God cutting a covenant with the people of Israel. And God's Agents are attorneys. God's attorneys were angels in this contract. And Moses and Israel's attorneys or attorney was Moses as agent for Israel. And a contract was, was, was stricken here and agreed upon. And it was a contract that said, if... Israel performs, then God will bless. If Israel fails to perform, then God will curse. The contract had to do with performance, and it was all about the law, and angels were the ones that delivered this, and Moses stood for the people of Israel. The new covenant is not a covenant between God and us, like the old covenant was. But the new covenant is a covenant between the Father and the Son. And that's why the Scripture says there was a mediator in this covenant, the mediator being the angels and Moses... 
But Galatians says, but God does not, God is one and does not need a mediator because he's one. He's, Paul is referring to this covenant between father and son in Galatians chapter 3. So in a sense, just like Clark said a few months ago, the new covenant is about God saying, if you will do this, I will bless. But then in the new covenant, he takes it to another level and he says, you cannot perform. You cannot perform perfectly. So I'm going to do your part too. That's the covenant of grace where God says, I will bless if you perform. And the son, God in the flesh says, I will perform father for them. So that, he, so that God is, is cutting covenant with God. And so the, so the perfect blessing and the perfect performance is merged in the Godhead, so to speak. This is what was pictured when Abraham, when God told Abraham, I will bless you, Abraham, and your seed. And that's where Paul brings out, not as seeds as many, but as seed, even one, even Christ, Galatians says. And so this covenant was cut between God and Abraham, and Abraham simply believed when God said, your seed shall be as the stars. And then a strange thing happened, remember, in in Genesis chapter 15, I believe it is, or 13. um, You can see where Abraham falls into a deep sleep after he cuts the animals and puts the animals apart to cut covenant with God. And you would think that God's going to cut covenant with Abraham, like God on one side of the table and Abraham on the other side of the table. But after he sets up the animals and cuts them in half, which is an old way of showing two people entering into covenant that, that we're as one, then Abraham falls into that deep sleep and he awakens and he sees the strange sight that I've, I've asked Jewish people what they think this means and not a single one to this day has been able to explain what that, what that is in Genesis. But what Abraham saw when he woke up from this deep sleep He saw a smoking furnace and a burning torch. He saw, going between the pieces, this billowing smoke, like a column of smoke, much like the smoke that followed Israel in the wilderness. And he also saw this, like a torch, like a fiery torch, going between the pieces. And without the light from the torch, you couldn't see the smoke. And I think that's a picture of you can't know the Father without the Son. You can't see the Father without the Son. But here's Abraham waking up from this deep sleep, and he sees this strange sight. Now, notice Abraham is not walking between the pieces. He's not part of the covenant. He's off. He's the third-party beneficiary. He's going be, to benefit from a covenant made between this smoking furnace and this burning torch. This torch was the seed that was not yet, had not yet come, the Christ that Paul talks about in Galatians. So this covenant that was ratified, Paul says, this is a ratification of the promise to Abraham, cannot be changed by a later addition of law. That's what Paul's bringing out in Galatians. The law was added as a codicil temporarily, and then it was deleted because it was just a temporary thing but didn't change anything here so Abraham saw this strange sight and um, 
in this you see the fulfillment of what God would do through Christ. And now what the Father did, what God did was he offered the Son everything. The throne, the world. Romans says that Abraham is heir of the world. All those who are of the faith of Abraham inherit the world, everything. Um, it's not even just the world. It's the universe. It's all that's been made. Everything, everything was made by him and for him. So everything was his, and he allowed himself to become a man and to live as a man under the law, born of a woman, under the law, under this covenant here, so that God could be just and the justifier of the ungodly, scrapping this old covenant with Israel, bringing it back to the original agreement to the seed. That's why Melchizedek, the the priestly ministry of Melchizedek, is superior to the Levitical priesthood because the Levitical priesthood is that of the law, which talks about covering of sin, covering of sin, covering of sin. But Melchizedek speaks of a complete removal of sin. And that's why when Melchizedek came out to Abraham, he came with bread and wine. And that's a, remember, that's a, that's a picture of, of the remembering of the work of Christ. That's why now we remember his work with the bread and with the wine. Um, you know, why is this, I, I keep thinking, why is this important for us to remember? It's so important um, for us to remember because... Well, let, me, let me read this part. Let's read this in, in Colossians. I know we've read this before, but I really want us to, to hear this again. Look at Colossians, if you would, chapter 2. I pray that your hearts may be encouraged. Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2 of Colossians. I pray that your hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. It's key, I think, saints, that one of the, one of the keys to being knit together in love is this full assurance of understanding of the true knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. There is, uh, you know, the church is always trying to hold the church together in love and, you know, and preach love. And, but there is a supernatural knitting together. There's a supernatural knitting together of love that happens, just happens, when we understand, when we have the full assurance of understanding of the true knowledge of God's mystery, even Christ. And you've experienced that. Do you notice how you have a fellowship with saints that really understand the Christ? Who, saints that really have a, 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 uh, an understanding of the centrality of Christ, how there's such a fellowship and there's a camaraderie. And there's like, and if you haven't seen them in three years and you see them again, it's like you just saw them yesterday. And there's this knitting together. There's this love. You know how that is? That, that, you didn't make that happen. But I guarantee you, there's a lot of believers that don't, don't really have that in the body of Christ because they are really stuck here. 
they're stuck here, they're stuck here, and they don't have this supernatural knitting together of the hearts in love because they're not entering into the profound rest and wonder and all the wealth, Paul says, that comes from the full assurance of understanding of God's mystery, which is Christ. Isn't that cool? And that's God's secret to unity. It is. I mean, this, it's, it's, so, it's so awesome that the benefits of understanding the, the uh, finished work of Christ and understanding the centrality of Christ are unsearchable. That's what Paul said. The riches are unsearchable. And what men try to make happen because they, they refuse to see this or they just don't see this and they don't see that um, when Paul says, for, for God has made Christ to be unto me wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. See, when you don't see this mystery, this secret that was hidden in God and now revealed and this work of Christ then there's a, a thwarting of this flow of a supernatural knitting together of the love of God. And that's something you can't make happen. And when men want to try to make it happen, when they don't go God's way of revealing Christ, then they use fear, manipulation, and other things, and it just doesn't work. And it hurts people, and people get hurt, and, and uh, people get burned out, and they, and they wonder, like, you know, what, is this what the church is all about? You know, all kind of things happen because it's not really, you know, God's way. So, so let me just finish it real quick here, wrap it up. But I, I, Look at verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord's walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. That's another thing that happens when we see the centrality of Christ. There's a growing, there's a continual thanksgiving and gratitude that comes forth in this rest, in this wonder, in this peace, in this gratitude. That's just overflowing, this knitting together in love. All the wealth of the full assurance of understanding of God's mystery, which is Christ. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive. See, it leads you into bondage when you are not resting in the simplicity of Christ. Takes you captive through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And then he goes on. It's just awesome about how in him all the fullness dwells, and he was before all things, and he accomplished all things, and et cetera, et cetera. But I just want to, I just want to wrap it up here. I'm trying to start on time and end on time, but I um, just want to encourage you to Look at, look at this last verse in Romans. Let's wrap it up in Romans. Isn't this cool? I tell you, it's God is... That's why, that's why he starts... That's why Paul starts off by saying, Christ has been made unto me wisdom. The very first thing he says, wisdom. Because it, it's the, Christ is the wisdom of God. And where men and religious men might think, I 
can't put my hand, hands on that. I mean, I, I heard this guy on the radio just this week on the radio. He's, he wrote a new book, and they're interview, interviewing him on the radio, and he said, um, and he wrote a book about how to, how, to, how to read the scriptures or something. I was thought, well, this will be interesting. So, so I heard, and then he says, he says in the interview, he goes, well, the reason I wrote, I wrote the book is because, uh, you know, there's a lot of practical things in the Bible that we need to just learn how to implement in our life. And, you know, uh, I think, you know, we need to really realize how practical the Bible is and, and how we need to apply these principles to our life. And, and I'm going, oh, God, you know, it's like, and nothing about this, the revelation of Christ, nothing about this supernatural, incredible revealing of the mystery of God so that what he's trying to find and implement in his life just flows and manifests as fruit and because it's because it's it's not seen it's it's like there's a veil over the bible's not just a book about principles to live by but anyway um so here's here's this verse i love and and this is romans and we'll close right here romans chapter 16 last chapter of romans one of my favorite verses in the entire bible romans chapter 16 Romans 16, last uh, few verses here, beginning with verse 25. Before I read that, I just want to share this with you. I was reading this the other day, and I, and I, I was looking up above that to verse 20, 16, 20. That's a great verse, isn't it? Verse 20, it says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. I love that. 1620, the God of peace will soon crush. It's almost like peace, crush. You know, like, that's like, it's like saying Alabama, the team of peace, will soon crush. No. You know, it doesn't seem to fit, the God of peace. But you know how he crushes Satan under your feet? The God of peace. He has made peace. We now have peace with God, and the accuser cannot say a thing about the peace God has made. We were once enemies, but now we're at peace with God because of what God did. The God of peace shall crush the the accuser under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. I love that. 1620. Okay. All right. Verse 25. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Isn't that awesome? You see, the scripture says we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, or Jesus Christ himself being the message of the apostles and the prophets. This, these two verses summarize that. As an apostle, he's saying, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel as an apostle, 
Apostles sent by Jesus himself, the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested. Where was it kept secret? In the writings of the prophets, the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God. In other words, according to God's word, now is the time for it to be manifested. Now is the time for it to be spoken. Has been made known to all the nations leading to the obedience of faith, faith. Faith, that's how you keep the covenant. Faith, you believe, sons of Abraham. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Yep. Because principles are just a definition of the reality of the promise. That's right. It's the shadow. That's right. Okay, not the reality. That's exactly right. So we got books and principles all over this because people are seeing the shadows, but they, they're fearful. They don't want to let go of the law. <laughs> fearful of letting go of the law and jumping into Christ. It's true. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Yes. He is sufficient. For all, for all time. That's right. And Paul says you are complete in him. Yes. Let no man judge you or take this joy from you, for you are complete in him. Yes. Yes. And you know, and we do have to go. We've got to, what time is it now, Tully? We've got to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Awesome. Lord, Lord we just thank you so much. We, we close now and, and just we bless you, Lord. Thank you so much for the grace of God that is so upon us. Great grace was upon them all, the book of Acts says, and great grace is upon all of us. Thank you for opening our eyes to the simplicity and the centrality of Christ that we'd be, we'd be knit together in love by the Spirit of God in a supernatural way that we cannot explain. It's so awesome. Thank you, Lord, for this reality. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, for revealing the secret that was hid for ages past and now revealed. Christ, God's great mystery. In Jesus' name, amen.